The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections, and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit, and it is fantastic to have all of you along with us. And today we meet a member of the Dominatrix Hall of Fame, who uses BDSM to help make us all better people on the inside and out. Mistress Natalie King has been a New York City-based professional dominatrix for 28 years. She's also a certified life coach, an NASM certified personal trainer, a certified yoga instructor, and a kink companion, as well as BDSM educator. Natalie uses her experience in BDSM and health and fitness to achieve holistic, mindful, and ethical domination and power exchange. And she's also trademarked her kinky coaching approach, which focuses on BDSM as a tool to hack one's mental, physical, and emotional well-being. So now, from the Big Apple, it's Mistress Natalie King on what women and other wonderful humans want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever realized that your life was going to be a little bit different than your average person's? I'd say I was pretty young. Um, I was pretty overweight growing up. Um, I was 240 pounds by the time I was 12. And I just realized I really wasn't going to fit in. So I knew very early on that I was probably going to have a pretty different life than the average person uh, that I went to, to school with. First time you knew that you were going to make a change in that? Um, the first time I tried to make a change and the first time I succeeded is a completely different story, but, um, you know, I tried making changes to it well before I got to 240 pounds because I was told, you know, by 
all of the influences for health reasons and other um, that the way I was was not right. So I would say I probably started trying um, by first grade because I was already overweight in first grade. And the first time that you knew you were making it? Um, probably when I was seven, 16 or 17. Um, I, I figured out that I was really good at eating and really good at not eating. Um, and I just decided that not eating was the only thing that was going to change things. Now it was not very healthy, but it worked. <laughs> it, it worked indeed a little too well. Describe to me the first time you ever presented yourself as Mistress Natalie. I was probably, I want to say 20, 20 years old. No, maybe 19, um, somewhere right, right in that, in that uh, age range. And I had started working for my second employer. And uh, before that, the first person I worked for had given me a name, which I hated. And so I had an opportunity to change that name, thankfully, and chose and was allowed to have a name that I enjoyed, which was Natalie, um, who happened to be the first girl I ever had a crush on who lived on my, my block. She was like this fiery Italian who was about four years older than me. And I just had the biggest crush on her and her name was Natalie. So I just choked, thought Natalie was a great name. Um, and back in that era, it was sort of like a little bit of a cattle call, you know, three girls go into a room and you introduce yourself. So it was my um, training period. I wasn't actually even uh, allowed to take sessions yet. Uh, and that's the style that the woman that I sec worked for secondly did. But I introduced myself as, hi, I'm Mistress Natalie and my interests are yada, yada, yada. So about 18 or 19, uh, 19 or 20. First time you looked in the mirror or you looked at a picture and said, this is the Mistress Natalie that I pictured. Oh boy, <laughs> that took a little while. Um, I would probably say um, when I was about 30, uh, opened my own studio and um, built it from basically bare bones it had been used as a bike messenger place before. So when I say bare bones, it was literally like four walls and there wasn't even a sink next to the toilet. Um, and after I built my studio, which I still have to this day, um, you know, I definitely looked at myself and said, yes, this is the Mistress Natalie I wanna be. This is the human I wanna be. This is the, the person that I am. Um, yeah, that was the time. From the early origins to the being named to the Dominatrix Hall of Fame, there's a lot of story to cover with Mistress Natalie, and we will do that when we return. Hi. 
Hi folks, Key Barrett here, and I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want? You both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common, satisfaction. Read Surrender Submit Server on Audible, Kindle, and Paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think, and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. this is Venus and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Throughout the years of my career, people have always kind of defaulted as treating me like a victim. And I have kind of equated it to the character I created, Jewel Marceau, the damsel in distress. And I wonder if that hasn't just leaked over into people's minds that Jewel Marceau is this damsel in distress and she just always needs to be rescued and she's so helpless and oh poor her. And this is another uh, reason as to why I have wanted to become a dominatrix. Raw emotions, honest truth from the icon, Mistress Jewel Marceau. April 5th on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky, joined by Mistress Natalie King from New York City. Just how much of a New York City woman are you? Uh, well, born and bred, uh, came from Queens, flushing, grew up there. Um, knew from the age of 13 that I didn't want to live in Queens. <laughs> and I belonged in Manhattan. My uh, father had taken me to an art show that I wanted to go to. The artist who did like the cover for Metallica had his artwork on West 8th Street, a tiny little gallery. And I went there and um, 
I said, this is, this is where I want to live. I was 12 or 13. And literally my first sublet when I was 18 years old was on Bleecker, um, <laughs> Bleecker Street and so right above Ottomanelli's Meat Market. And um, I've lived in Manhattan ever since. So New Yorker through and through, but not even like, you know, what I consider the suburbs of New York, like the boroughs, it's like Manhattan. This is where I was supposed to be and have been ever since I was 18. How much of being a New Yorker has played a part in your perseverance in life? You know, probably quite a bit. Uh, it's not an easy city. You know, it there's a lot of competition on a lot of levels. There's a constant go, 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 grind, grind, grind. Uh, people think New Yorkers aren't nice. It's not, it's not true. It's not that we're not nice. We just literally have so much going on all the time. Like we don't have the ability to take the time out for the casual niceties that a lot of other people do. Um, so that, that really helps to structure your life and how you have to live if you wanna survive in a city like this, which I knew that I did. So it motivated me um, and definitely gave me a lot of reason to push myself probably a lot more than I would if I lived somewhere else. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm gonna be a dominatrix today. Obviously <laughs> it is a journey to get there. Where did yes. your journey start? What was the, what was the moment that you went, hmm, I think I might be interested in this. It was totally by accident. Um, you know, unlike today with social media and just how much information there is out there that is accessible to human beings, you're able to find out a lot of information and it's something that you probably would be able to be aware of and choose at a much earlier sort of stage in your life. Whereas I, uh, back in 1993, when I fell into this by accident, you know, there wasn't even like beepers really. And so <laughs> there was very little way for me to find out that something like this existed. So honestly, it was, I was on my, uh, one of my first weekends home from college because I went to college upstate, hated upstate but didn't want to live at home because I didn't want to live in Queens. And if I went to school in Manhattan, I still had to live at home. So I had to get out, but I was home every weekend and I bumped into a friend of mine who happened to work at a role play house. And uh, I saw her on the railroad and we were both heading into the city. She's like, Hey, you want to come hang out with me? Hang out at work. And you know, you're 18. You don't even ask what someone does. You just feel like, of course I want to hang out. I haven't seen you in however long. And lo and behold, she worked at this role play slash domination house. And, you know, uh, after a few hours of being there, um, I was like, a client came in. So all these girls, all this stuff started happening. I was like, what is this? And so I was instantly fascinated, um, probably because even though I didn't have the information, I gravitated towards things that were kind of kinky counterculture from a very young age. So this really fit into my anarchistic, Sid and Nancy, punk rock, underground, New York, cool, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So immediately I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, was more the fly on the wall for a little bit because uh, 
definitely didn't think I could personally do it, but I knew I wanted to be around it. I wanted to be in the environment. That is the first time I have ever heard the term role play house. <laughs> yes, that's how we advertised back then because she did not have like a, a real dungeony dungeony setup. It was in a brownstone and there were two, two levels above us, well, three, but two session rooms above us. And I mean, there was like sort of points where you could tie somebody up and we had some lighter equipment, but really it was fantasy and role play. And a lot of the things were BDSM oriented, um, but we didn't do any like heavy domination. Um, and everybody had to switch back then or take either role. And we also didn't do any heavy subbing. So it really was more um, the psychological aspect of it with lighter elements of physical BDSM. Um, you know, this was an era when AIDS was really taking off. And I think people were looking for safer alternatives to, to just traditional sex. And so she marketed it not as a dungeon, but as a, a role play house fantasy. When was the <laughs> first time you had exposure to what you would call regular BDSM or heavier BDSM? When was the first time that you went, wow, now this is something. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, we did some crazy stuff then, like there was still some heavy corporal punishments and caning until you were black and blue and, um, you know, just weird kinks and fetish, but um, I was there for approximately a year-ish, and then I decided it really wasn't the place I wanted to stay, and then I was looking for another um, another place to work out of, and the woman that I worked for had a traditional, traditional dungeon with all the rooms were set up with leather benches, leather crosses, there was, you know, equipment, uh, all kinds of real serious paddles and um so it, it was probably again when I was around 19 almost 20. Take me into your dungeon what is the thing that will first catch my eye what is the first thing that you think I would be drawn to and what is the thing you're most proud of? Um the thing that you would think probably most off is, wow, there is a shit ton of stuff in this tiny little space. <laughs> that, you know, I think that's everybody's like first impression is how extraordinarily well-equipped it is for being a small Manhattan studio. Um, the second thing that might catch your eye is the mirror. Um, it is just this huge, beautiful, Baroque antique mirror. And everybody's like, how the hell did you get that thing in here? It's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there's a lot of things that I am proud of in, in that studio. One thing that actually doesn't have anything to do with the equipment, probably the one of my most shining moments and that I'm definitely proud of is because of various reasons and having a slumlord for a landlord and all of this crazy stuff, uh, the building got raided and, you know, I thought it, I was going to get shut down and then there was building ins inspectors up our ass and I was not allowed to have a shower. 
because the building was owned for factory and showroom only. Now it was rented to me as a live workspace. <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold, it was so far from that. It wasn't even funny. So my landlord said, you have to pour cement down the drain and you have to, you know, show them that the, the shower isn't working. Now I spent $30,000 to build that bathroom. Wow. And there was no fucking way in hell because of course my landlord's there making sure we have copper pipe and the whole thing. There's one thing up to code in the whole building, but you know, it was like, of course, my little tiny bathroom that you could literally your ass cheeks are like touching the wall when you sit in the toilet. And it was the most expensive bathroom of my life. And he's telling me to pour cement down the drain. And so I was like, fuck that. And I got somebody to literally build a secret fake wall over the shower so the wall has a mirror on it and has these two little sconces and it has these huge hinges and it literally closes over the tiny little shower I unscrew the sconce folder I put in a screwdriver I lock the door slash wall and when the building inspectors came they literally changed the floor plan of the building because they're like this should be another three feet I don't understand I'm like I don't know. <laughs> so that's probably the one thing that I'm most proud of because I still have a shower in my studio. That's pretty smart, pretty clever, as the Brits <laughs> might say. What were you studying in school and what did you think you were going to end up doing? So when I went to school, uh, I thought I was going to major in theater. And my first semester, I took a theater class and I actually wound up dropping the class because everybody was so pretentious and such assholes. I said, okay, well, theater is not my thing. I can't do this. Um, then I fell into BDSM really pretty quickly. And so by the end of my second semester, what I did was I looked through the entire course catalog and uh, despite them wanting me to go towards biology because I wound up taking like biology for majors my first semester and I was the only person who got an A in the class. So they were like trying to get me to take biology but I decided that I was going to major in whatever major I never had to take Friday class. So I could work in the city Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so that happened to be public communications so I wound up with a public communications degree because it's the only major that I could have taken where I never had to take a Friday class. <laughs> Interestingly enough, it's probably a major that has helped you a lot. It has. It helped me get rid of my Fran Drescher um, accent. <laughs> because that is what I sounded like. And if I am drunk or really excited, still do sound like. <laughs> um, Are you it, a good sub today? Do you want some coffee? Um, <laughs> so it, it's interesting though, because you know I haven't done a lot of public speaking. Most of my interactions have, have been one on one-on-one. So there's a very big difference between publicly communicating and individual. Um, but it was, it was a, a good, a good education, you know, regardless. I knew though, as I was going through school that my heart was definitely in my other work. And I just knew that if I didn't get a degree, my parents would be disappointed. So I kind of just 
went through and I did, I graduated with honors and I did very well. I mean, I took school seriously, um, but not seriously. Like I was looking for it to be what I wanted to do as a career. People say, do what you love and you never have to work a day in your life. Is that the way you feel? There is a lot of truth to that. Um, there, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. It's not that you never have to work in a day in your life, but you know, when you're choosing to do the work, it's different. Um, you know, there are, are particular obstacles of working in a career that isn't technically legal that I think make that, a, that statement a lot harder. You know, I think that if my career was more accepted and I could more easily do my taxes and more easily get loans if I needed them or more easily do a million and one things, find a, a place to work out of if I had to, then that, that statement would be even more true than it is. But, uh, you know, there are some drawbacks to, to doing what I do. What's the best thing about going to work every day? It's different every day. <laughs> it is different every day. Even if I have known the person for 20 years, it is different every single day. And that's exciting. One of the things I spoke about with Lady Vi from Seattle is we talked about the fact that people have this impression that BDSM is this all sexual thing. It's the way it's portrayed in media. And you even watch things like Castle or Silk Stockings. And it's always these high polished dungeons where the women are just totally in leather and this picture of it. And then there's the real BDSM. Yeah. The thing that is made of connections. Describe to me what that word connection means to you. I would say that connection is probably the most important thing that I have gotten out of my career. The connections with my subs, the relationships that have developed, uh, the connection with myself. Um, and what I think people don't really understand is how powerful the connection is that's formed through a power exchange relationship. Um, I cannot tell you how many people have told me that I know them better than anybody else, including their life partners, their therapists, you know, their best friend. Um, so the, the connection between Dom and Sub probably is, from, from my perspective, obviously I'm biased, but um, one of the strongest connections that can exist. You said something very important in that answer, however, which is your connection with yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. At least for me personally, my journey through this career, um, getting in touch with Mistress Natalie, developing Mistress Natalie, the person who I wanted to be, but didn't really feel that I was for many reasons. Um, my work allowed me to get to who that person is and develop that person the way that I wanted to. And I don't think that if I had 
uh, hadn't fallen into this career that that would have happened or it definitely wouldn't have happened as quickly. What was your biggest challenge in getting to be that? You know, it was very challenging growing up um, being obese. I mean, that's, uh, that's a huge, huge struggle. Um, again, today there's more support, I would say, and more awareness for not shaming people, not bullying people, understanding that those things are very traumatic. Um, so for me, that was a, a huge obstacle, one that even to this day at almost 47, I still struggle with. You know, there are certain connections that are formed in your brain when you're young, that no matter how much you work on, you know, you still have to have to battle them. They don't, they don't disappear. Um, also, while I had a actually really great childhood on a lot of fronts, I'm very close with my father, my sister, um, my grandparents, may they rest in peace. Um, I mean, super close family traditions, but there was a lot of challenges coming from my mother um, who passed away when I was about 19, 20. Um, and so that sort of traumatic relationship as well, uh, carried over into many of the other relationships that I had in life, because obviously we learn how to be in relationships from our first relationships. So until you're at the point where you realize maybe those first relationships weren't great relationships, you keep repeating these patterns, it takes a while to uncover all of that. Did you ever feel like you had to apologize for who you were? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm lucky in that even early on when this was not an accepted career or talked about like, like it is today, I was pretty unapologetic about what I did. And I mean, I even did like uh, one of my women's studies course, like I talked about being a dom in college in the nineties. So, which back then was like, oh my God, you know? So I was kind of like, fuck you to a lot of people about what I did, but that really, again, comes from when I was very young, I realized I wasn't gonna fit in. Um, I wasn't gonna be the popular girl. I wasn't gonna be the one everyone wanted to hang out with. And so way back then, I kind of took this attitude of I'm not gonna fit in, so I don't care. I'm gonna do all the things that are the exact opposite of what you say I should do or what you want me to do because I know I will never fit into that. And since you won't accept me the way that I am, then I'm just gonna go in the exact opposite direction. You know, I had like the hair like this when I was very, very young. I got my first tattoo when I was 13, which uh, back then tattooing wasn't even legal in New York to have like a tattoo shop. <laughs> and I managed to get one at 13, pierced my own belly button when I was 14. Like, so anything I could do to not fit in because I wasn't gonna fit in anyway. So I just wanted to take it in that direction. If you go on mistressnatalie.com, the first thing you see is an extraordinarily beautiful picture of you in beautiful surroundings. Could you have imagined those surroundings growing up? I don't think so. Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> My sensibilities growing up were extraordinarily different. Um, I've, I've grown, I've developed, 
And while I still love sort of entertaining the things we are quote unquote not supposed to do because it's exciting and fun, um, I think that the things that I want in life are much more of an elevated status. Um, whereas when I was young, it was like grungy, dirty, punk rock, like, you know, like looking at that nice stuff would have been like, oh, you bougie bitch, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I was probably very, 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 you know, I was stereotyped people who, who looked like that and were like that. The clothes that you wear in the pictures that not only you sent me, but the pictures that are on your website and the pictures you share on social media. They have a wonderful style. They have a wonderful shape to them. Are they, in essence, a bit of armor that you wear that helps protect you from that outside world? Oh, yeah. So it's really interesting. Uh, with my photos, yeah, the, the aesthetic and the presentation to me is, is very important because it is me. It's, it's my image. And I love fetish clothes. I mean, I loved fetish clothes when I was 11 or 12 and I saw Molly Crew videos and I saw them with the leather and the chains and the whole thing. So that aesthetic for me has always been pleasurable. So getting to wear those clothes to me, I, I'm just attracted to the look on me or anybody else. <laughs> um, and so when I first started doing this, the clothes were very important as an armor, for sure, without a doubt. I could not do a session if I didn't have the gear, if I wasn't in the corset and the leather and the this and the that, like it was like I needed that. Now, those clothes look great in pictures, but what I wear in session is generally very different <laughs> unless someone has a fetish. Um, one, you know, at this point in my life, my feet cannot sustain those kinds of shoes and heels for long periods of time because anybody in this industry who makes it this long is going to have foot issues. Um, <laughs> and the, the corsets and things of that nature, like it really doesn't allow me mobility. So if I am doing some, somebody's in some crazy heavy bondage and I literally have to kind of lift this 200 plus pound person to a certain degree and help them, like, I physically can't do that if I am restrained in a hobble skirt or corset myself. So my attire for my scenes now is largely dependent on what I want to do with the person and does the outfit suit the interaction and, and what's going to be most fun for us. Because honestly, I have sessioned in my yoga pants and, you know, kind of like what I'm wearing now. And that's totally fine. And I have no problem with it. <laughs> what was your first piece of fetish clothing that you owned? Um, so the first couple of pieces I had borrowed from the, the first person that I, I worked with. And then when I started at the House of Domination, we had to, we had outfit requirements. Mm. So we had to um, gather up and we had a certain period of time to do this. You know, we had our like training period. And then I think we had like one month to get our outfits. So I don't remember which pieces I bought first, but I definitely know what I had to have. I remember this very distinctly, a nurse uniform. So I had a white PVC nurse uniform that I got a purple passion that had a little like tie on apron. Mm -hmm. um, we had to have a corset. And so I had gotten a stormy leather, leather corset, which I still have 
to this day <laughs> that had red paneling down the front, still have this corset, um, had to have one latex outfit, which I also still remember vividly. It was uh, ankle length uh, damask skirt and the whole entire back was laces. And I had like a purple and black uh, bra, latex bra with like chain. Also a little bit of chain on top of like dummy cup. Um, and then we needed like lingerie. It was like garter belt stockings and basic black lingerie. And then one submissive outfit, which I don't remember at all what that was. <laughs> <laughs> so those were, those were my first pieces. And through the years, what has been your favorite piece? Oh, wow. That is a hard one. You know, I still have this one stormy leather bra, leather bra that I will still wear that literally I probably got, you know, 20 some odd years ago. Uh, so that's definitely one of my, my favorite pieces. Unfortunately, latex doesn't live that long. So that's a little harder, but I will say, I think it's seven years ago now, I went to Germany and I met this wonderful woman. Her name is Heidi and she owns Savage Wear Latex. And I went in there and I wanted to get something, but nothing was quite exactly what I wanted. So I asked her if she would custom make something. And I kind of picked half of one of her outfits and half of one of her other outfits. And she kind of put it together for me, but she had done a full body measurement head to toe and I've never gone back since, but I now have a huge latex collection from her that I designed myself. So I draw it, I send her the drawing, she makes it and she sends it to me. So almost all of my latex, I'd say 90% uh, of my latex I've actually designed. Wow. So those are, those are usually my favorite pieces. I mean, I don't wear it often just because getting into it and getting out of it and the, the lube everywhere and the fragility of it and the expense of it. Um, so it's not something I wear on a daily basis, but they are my favorite, favorite pieces for sure. When we come back on what women and other wonderful humans want, we're going to step out of the dungeon and into the classroom when we return. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom, but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports. No, not the jet ski kind. And you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should. 
dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is Tanya Tate. And have you listened to my podcast? Tanya Tate presents MILFs Making Money. I share a whole lot of positivity, tips and tools on how myself and other women in the adult industry make money on premium social media platforms. If you want to hear me interview many different guests, then get yourself over there, milfsmakingmoney.com. And you can also search my name, Milfs Making Money, on all of your usual podcast platforms. And if you enjoyed listening to What Women Want podcast, make sure you get yourself over and subscribe to my podcast, milfsmakingmoney.com. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to the show. Joined by Mistress Natalie King from New York City, who in addition to being in the Dominatrix Hall of Fame, is a pretty kick-ass fitness expert, yoga expert, and is doing a lot of things within life coaching. So let's talk about that. First of all, let's talk about the fitness side of things. You have talked in our first two segments about the challenge of being overweight and having to overcome that. How Mm -hmm. joyous must it be now to be able to help others with that? It's amazing. It's probably... Um, you know, just as rewarding as the things that I'm able to accomplish with my BDSM clients. Um, you know, seeing people transform their bodies or reach other goals that they have and knowing that I had a hand in that is really powerful for sure. When you teach classes, is there a more gentle side to you or are you really pushing people? So I don't do a lot of one-on-one personal training, which I have, which I have done, but I don't belong to a gym. I don't have a gym facility. Um, So with my coaching, generally it's more of, I will uh, program for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could watch them do things and give them some corrections, but it's usually not an in-person thing. And also because there are a lot of trainers out there who have way more like, you know, hours of experience mm-hmm. than I ever could. If the, I really feel they need a trainer, like, especially if they have injuries or things I'm worried to work around, I just suggest them to, to get a trainer, but I would do like nutrition planning, fitness planning, and ways of managing, not just diet and working out because people think that those are the only two things that are important, but there's so much more stress levels, quality of sleep, you know, supplementation, going to your doctors, having your hormones checked, having your vitamin levels checked. Like these are the things that I would like, I suggest to my clients. So it's not like a, this is, even though I have my a training, um, personal training certification, I definitely do more coaching than one-on-one training sessions. 
I know that my own fitness instructor, who is Christina Dorner of C. Dorner Fitness, who I work out with every morning on YouTube, always talks about the fact that she loves her cardio queens, of which I jokingly <laughs> call myself one because I designed her t-shirt that says cardio queen and I wear the t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. She also talks about the fact that there's strength training and there's also what she calls mobility, which a lot of people mm -hmm. would call yoga. How important is that mobility in somebody's overall health, especially as they get older? Mo mobility is key and yoga is one great way to do it, but there's tons of functional exercises that people can be doing that are also not yoga based because a lot of people think of yoga as this like woo woo kind of thing, but there are a lot of functional exercises to keep people limber. And as we age, one of the biggest things that we see is, is older people lose their mobility and they lose their balance and they fall and they hurt themselves. So even though a lot of people who work out think like, oh, mobility exercises, you're not really doing anything. I'm not pushing myself. I'm not sore from it. It's not hard. You know, I'm not lifting this amount of weight or sweating my ass off. It is just as important, if not more so, when you're talking about getting older. Um, because again, more prone to injury, more prone to losing your, your just basic ability to get up on your tippy toes and reach for something high up. Uh, you know, it's like simple life things and it sounds just so boring and mundane, um, but essential, truly essential. I have had Master Trinity, who is a wonderful human, a latex fetishist. Uh, they enjoy their own personal uh, fitness training. As a matter of fact, just moved down to Miami to open up a full-blown studio and dungeon. And wow, she great. inspired me to get back to working out which I hadn't done in years. And at age 58, I need to do something to make sure I'm going to be around for a while. And I was drawn to her because on social media, she did a thing called late exercise. <laughs> yep. And I saw it and then I talked to her about it. And she said, having fun and making it fun is the one way that will keep you doing it. For me, yeah. it's getting into 80s aerobics outfits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and doing my workout because I feel empowered in that. What are some of the things that you can think of that can make working out and feeling better fun that might not be just the mainstream thing that you'd say? <laughs> well, since I do have a, a little yoga certification, I always like to make some comparisons between what I do in yoga and bondage because in yoga, they use lots of props like belts. And <laughs> I know that in my own personal practice, I have felt like, okay, this person's a total sadist and I now feel like I am in some kind of crazy shibari bondage and I have to stay here for you know a hundred breaths and I'm gonna die. <laughs> but there's something really fun about the predicament of that um, or getting into vulnerable positions uh, in yoga, which you do a lot of. So for me, kind of doing the whole kinky yoga thing is, is really a lot, of, a lot of fun. I have noticed that there are a lot of public play spaces that do naked yoga. 
that's one of the events that they do. A good friend of mine, <laughs> BB LaCroix, is one of the instructors in Indianapolis, and she's amazing. And people just love being able to get out there and be free. Yeah. I want to talk about a term that you have actually trademarked kinky coaching. Yes. <laughs> what was the genesis of that? I'm guessing it was obviously your role in BDSM, but what was the genesis of you wanting to take your kink knowledge and move it in this new direction? Um, you know, it's really organic uh, for my own health and fitness journey, which was a very long and involved one. Um, and I was very lucky to have a lot of clients along with me for my journey, seeing all of the changes. And when they were seeing these positive changes in me, they became very interested in what I was doing as well. And I would naturally then start to incorporate some of the things that I was learning into our sessions. And it really motivated them to do these things even more because obviously when you enjoy it, you're gonna keep doing it. So the fact that it was kink-based um, and the reasoning behind doing these things that otherwise might seem boring, mundane, challenging, hard, um, you make it fun or interesting or have the good kind of consequences. It just seemed like a natural progression. And I think a lot of the people who were with me for a very long time, you know, with our connection being strong, we have lots of similarities. They're, you know, goal-oriented and interested in, in progressing in life and challenging themselves um, that they made very good candidates for kinky coaching. And I figured, well, if these people are very good candidates for kinky coaching, that there are probably a lot of other people out there who are interested in it. And the difference between sort of BDSM, where I am, coaching them to their goals and kinky coaching is it's sort of like in BDSM, it's 95% BDSM, 5% coaching. And it's sort of the opposite in the kinky coaching where just the fact that I'm a dominatrix is sort of the mental push to get the person to be able to have these goals. And also understanding that I am kink friendly um, makes it, the person more comfortable because obviously their motivators can be a little bit more fun and in line with, uh, the way that they, uh, respond to, you know, rewards and punishments. Can you give me a couple, and of course, keeping privacy as it will be, can you give me a couple success stories where you just look at the story or the picture and go, wow, what a difference I was able to make. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there was one person, uh, Mr. Mom, as he has been called and has been out uh, as Mr. Mom. And so I, I feel very comfortable talking about uh, our relationship. Uh, his wife had passed away um, with uh, brain cancer, something that she had been fighting for 18 years. I met him about four years before she passed, but when things were getting really bad. And then after she passed, you know, we continued. And um, 
even after she passed, he maintained fitness mid fifties and he's doing triathlons. He's going to different states to do triathlons. He's getting up at four o'clock in the morning. He, his son is like on row team. He's going and rowing with his son. The daughter's doing half marathons. He's training with the daughter and everybody would like say to him and they would look at pictures of him before. And now he had lost 35 pounds. Um, you know, better shape than he had been in, in years. His wife had passed. He's a single father with, you know, three children and yet looking better and better every year. And so people would always be like, how are you doing this? What are you doing? Oh, I have a secret weapon. I have a secret weapon. I have a secret <laughs> weapon. <laughs> so the fact that I was that secret weapon that not only got him probably through probably what is one of the most challenging things I can't even imagine, um, that I had even a small part in being able to have him lose weight, sleep better, get like his kids to where they need to be in life and be present to be the parent that he wanted to be uh, is probably one of the most rewarding things like I could ever have done in, in my life, hands down, no, no question. Um, then another one of my subs I have known for, oh, geez, it's gotta be 20 years, 19, 20 years, uh, went through a lot of health issues, lots and lots of health issues, uh, back surgeries, chronic pain for years, um, hormonal issues, uh, where they were like literally as a man, uh, lactating. So, you know, ser serious health issues and between the uh, medications that the person was given and the chronic pain uh, had wound up gaining uh, well over a hundred pounds. Mm. And at maybe five, 10, five, nine was up to about 310 pounds. And um, because of our relationship and our coaching and um, the sort of dynamic that I had taking some of the negative aspects of his health situation and turning them kinky and positive and fun since happened to be into feminization. Now I have a lactating woman. It was like this whole thing that mm -hmm. turned it positive. Um, uh, he wound up losing, you know, a good, I'd say 80 pounds of the hundred pounds that, that he gained. And it just obviously changes someone's life completely. While yes, there is still some back pain, some pain, the level of medication uh, went from like four eighty milligram oxycontins a day to you know you know some Motrin. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that that sort of is extraordinarily extraordinarily powerful as well. And you can um, see, I can see because I have video in front of me. I can see the pride in your eyes as you tell that, and I yeah. can tell that it's beaming from your heart as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's why I do like what I do again, it's the connection, the kink and the fun is great. And that is a large part of what I do, but some of the relationships that I've been able to form over the years that I've been doing this, there's nothing that can compare to that. I told you before we started our interview that I had watched a bit of an interview and watched two videos on your website at mistressnatalie.com and they are in the gallery and I would encourage our listeners to go seek them out as you hear the question I'm about to ask to you or the scenario I am about to put to you 
One of them is on the bottom of the page, and it is listed as Mistress Natalie's original promo video. <laughs> the oh, other man. one is more towards the top on the right-hand <laughs> side, and it is a set of still black and white pictures with you telling your story. The original promo video, very sexy, very hot, a lot of tongues, a lot of expressions mm -hmm. that you'd expect to see back in the 90s in a promo video. <laughs> the black and white still pictures are beautiful pictures of you in session where you are explaining why you are, how you are what you do, and what it means to you. You are a member of the Dominatrix Hall of Fame because you have been in the business for so long. And you have given to your community and you've done amazing things in New York City. But I, what I'd like you to do, Natalie, is to go back and watch those videos in the order that I mentioned now. I will. Because I want you to appreciate where you were and what you may have thought BDSM and kink meant at that time. And then look at your present day and know what it means to you now. Putting that scenario in your mind, how amazing is it that you've gone through the evolution that you have? Oh, it's ridiculous how amazing it is. And I never knew what this career could be. Um, you know, there's definitely sort of a lot of stereotypes and things that you think you're supposed to do, especially when you're first in the industry. And it wasn't a big community like it is today. And it was very, very different. So the fact that when I decided to go out on my own about 18 years ago and kind of gave a big F you to the few people that I knew in the industry that were like, you can't do this. You can't do this. I'm so glad that I did that. Um, because literally just, you know, a few months ago, I was down in Orlando, Florida on a main stage panel with a psychotherapist and a bodywork therapist and a biohacker named Dave Asprey who is the bulletproof guy. I don't know if people know who that is, but his, his, his products are everywhere. And I was on a stage at this major conference with thousands of people talking about kink and BDSM. And, you know, years ago, that wouldn't have, I never would have even dreamed that that would have been possible. But now that I can go out and educate people, not just kink oriented people, like these people were there for a health conference. And yet I was able to talk to them and got such positive responses the next day when I was walking around the conference from people all over the world saying there needs to be more of this um, is, is amazing. And sometimes I'm just like, I wake up and I can't believe, you know, that I've really had the opportunity to be in this industry for this long, see how many changes that it's gone through and now be a part of being able to educate and advocate um, for people uh, who are kink-minded and orient in the BDSM world. 
such an amazing story, such an amazing evolution. And there's still a lot more to come. <laughs> Are you excited about what there is ahead? I'm really excited. You know, I took the sort of pandemic days to write a book and I have a first draft. Um, but then after talking to a bunch of people and a lawyer and some editors and stuff, they're like, oh no, but the book really needs to be about this, these first two chapters. Um, so I'm going to take that under advisement. And while I don't really have the time to write a whole nother book, <laughs> um, that is on the agenda for me. I don't know how many years, I'm obviously during the pandemic when I wasn't working, it was very easy to write 150 page manuscript. Um, now, not so much because I need to make up for the time that I wasn't working. But uh, in the future, that is something I would love to be able to do is to take the advice that I was given and challenge myself, because I'm not a writer, um, to dive into the, the project that has sort of been placed in front of me. I am very, very much looking forward to finding more opportunities to be able to speak to people and uh, communicate to people either through podcasts or video or conferences about kink and BDSM and normalizing it and um, finding some new, great, wonderful clients and subs because practicing my craft is still my most favorite thing in the world to do and finding new people to be able to do that with is something I'm really looking forward to. I have always said the greatest thing about this show is getting to meet so many amazing people. The curse is that most of them live far away from Cincinnati, Ohio, and not being able to experience what we talk about on a weekly basis. But Natalie, I will tell you that while it would be an honor to ever get to play with you to see what you are in all your regalness, I think sitting over a soda in my case, a coffee in your case, or a beverage of your choice in your case, I could sit and talk to you for hours because you have such an amazing story that I think we've just probably just gotten the tip of, but now uh, hopefully a lot of people will become even more interested and we will be able to visit once again uh, in the near future. I would love that. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And um, I had a blast. So fantastic to have the insight from Mistress Natalie King. She actually brings such inspiration to all of us who are trying to be our best selves. And I love the combination of BDSM and physical fitness. We could all use a little direction in that way, couldn't we? Next week on the show, it is an episode we have been anticipating for many weeks. The fetish model icon, the ultimate damsel in distress, turned pro-don. It is an emotional, raw, and truthful interview with Miss Jewel Marceau. That's next week on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I thank you for being with us. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time, and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always.
What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.